0: Sadly, this is a day in Manitoba and across Canada that will be remembered as one of tragedy and incredible sadness.
1: Good morning. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Things are going to be a little, little bit different around here today. Normally on Fridays, we like to ease you into the weekend uh, with some lighthearted conversation while we also discuss the news. But after given what happened yesterday, um, this is the kind of thing that we hear about happening elsewhere not in our backyard, Greg.
0: Yeah, RCMP officials saying yesterday that, to their knowledge, this is an event unlike any other in our province. And so to that end, uh, Loren McNabb is on the scene and will be joining us from the intersection of Highway 1 and and Highway 5. And Loren, we received notification from the province just before 3 o'clock this morning that that intersection had completely reopened. Tell us what you're seeing there and we and we know Clay Young is there for global news as well, so I think I see that it's raining or has been raining in that part of the province.
2: Yeah, we have a light rain falling right now, and you know the speed limit on the Trans Canada here is 100 kilometers per hour, but most of the vehicles that I've walked past this intersection of Highway Five and Number One You know what, Lorraine? Sorry, sorry,
1: we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bring Lorraine down because we can't just can't uh, can't quite make out what loren is saying with the the traffic noise in the background and that happened uh, if you t- happen to hear the news or miss the news yesterday with richard Cluche and julie buckingham uh skylar peters was on scene and uh they had to sort of turn him down quite a few times yeah. uh, just given the the, you know, the the volume from traffic in the background
0: yeah so jeff if you and loren can sort that out so we can bring loren back on yeah okay loren let's try this again good morning
1: I want
2: to apologize for that, but this is just sort of the nature of where we're at right now and out here. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Um, I I was just talking about the fact that, you know, the speed limit on the Trans-Canada here at this intersection of Highway 5 is 100 kilometers per hour. But every vehicle that has passed here is going much slower. One semi I watched was just almost at a crawl, and that could be because they're pausing to take a look. Could be because they're pausing to share their thoughts. But it's hard to believe really standing here right now that this was the scene of such pure chaos and sadness, you know, less than 24 hours ago. I can see pieces of debris on the ground, some plastic from perhaps one of the vehicles. There's marks in the earth dug out, um, potentially from where one of the semi came to a stop. The stop sign has been knocked down. There's a temporary stop sign here uh, as you look east towards Winnipeg and then about 100, maybe 150 metres up the road in the ditch, is a large patch of burnt-out grass where, of course, that bus would have come to a stop and where we now know 15 lives have been lost. And as I think about that, guys, and about the fact that this is going to be one of those days and weeks and years that go down in history for all the wrong reasons in Manitoba, my thoughts are with the chaos that some of the families might still be feeling. You know, we heard from the RCMP yesterday talk about the idea that they were sorry, but they were doing the best they could to let family know where things stood and you have an entire community in the Dauphin area mourning. Some people, I have heard, had potentially both parents on the bus and, and they're trying to figure out where maybe one is in hospital, maybe one isn't. Uh, there are multiple hospitals that were in use here and so the, the scene has been cleaned up but the emotions uh, linger heavy over here this morning.
0: Yeah, things are really just getting started on that front, uh, Brett.
1: Superintendent Rob Lawson, Officer in Charge of Major Crime Services, with the RCMP, says they've never really seen anything like this here.
3: What I can say in, in Manitoba, from my career um, and prior to that, I don't believe we've had a mass casualty traffic accident like this in Manitoba. So this is is this is new for us and our investigators, and it's very emotionally draining for them as well. And as I mentioned, this is a very complex, large
1: investigation with lots of uh, lots of things we have to un- unfold and unpack. We uh, were shared some video of the from people just passing the scene and um, I'm not going to get into it but when I watched it it um, it's one of the hardest things uh, that I've ever just looked at I I just sort of sat there in disbelief as to what I was looking at with tarps covering people beside the road and uh, this is uh, it as I was walking home after, you know, we, I, Jeff Braun and I record the Couch Potatoes Thursday afternoons, and I was walking home just trying to wrap my brain around this tragedy. It's just, uh, I can't even put it into words, Greg.
0: Yeah, Loren, this is going to impact so many people, and we'll get into that discussion in a little bit here, just the, the wide reaching impact of of a tragedy like this. And of course, so many people liking likening this to what happened in Saskatchewan, the Humboldt Broncos bus bus crash, Uh, far too many similarities for far too many people, uh, including the the number of fatalities here. And yesterday, you know, if we're sharing personally right now, uh, I was on the phone with Heather Steele, uh, our, our, our leader in, in our group. And um, I was relaying to her, an experience I had about 26 years ago, something that I don't ever really speak about out loud. I was on my way to work in Vernon, B.C. One day I had been visiting my brother and Sam in Salmon Arm and traveling Highway 97 and on the way to work, there was a crash scene. Those uh, curtains, if you've ever seen them up on the side of the road, are not a very good sign. It was obviously a little bothersome just for the mere fact that I was traveling on that road. But when I got to work, it was somebody that I worked with that had been killed in that crash. And so when you um, when you measure this out, Loren, the, the impacts uh, could be about what happened today. It could be something that happened several years ago. There's going to be a lot of Manitobans hurting today for various reasons.
2: Just up the road from me, of course, is the town of Carberry, where much of that first response would have come you know uh some of them maybe volunteer firefighters and paramedics rushing up the road to help then ambulances were called in from multiple locations and then stars air ambulance from winnipeg and regina all coming here to try to help to try to save lives where we know 25 people of course uh, potentially on that bus 10 sent to hospital at least 15 dead and then you think about dauphin you know i grew up in a small town i live in a small town and i know dauphin is a city. But it's not that that community this morning will be waking up hearing about someone that they maybe didn't know going to bed last night that was impacted in this crash, maybe hurt, maybe fighting for their life. Maybe they've passed away. And so for that small town right now, you just have to pause and think about how they're going to try to rally and come together to make sure that people have the supports they can. But on a day like this, you just have to pause and, and say to yourself, man. I'm lucky to be here, and I cannot imagine what those families are going through.
1: It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us on this somber Friday morning. Lauren McNabb is at the crash site near Carberry, and this tragic event will have impact most directly of course on the victims and their families but it will also have a gigantic impact on the city of Dauphin around the province and quite frankly across the whole country. David Boziak is the mayor of Dauphin.
3: Emotions are they are very difficult and and um the lack of of knowing all the details and and managing the just the, the the different feelings that people have is going to be the hardest thing for us in the next uh, few hours and over the next couple of days. But uh, like you said, I'm I'm confident in our community that that we'll pull together, we'll support each other. Um, we're all in this together, and um, hopefully, we'll come through
0: as best we can. The mayor of Dauphin will join us in just about a half hour's time here. On the start. And if you ever drive that stretch of the Trans-Canada, passing through that intersection at Highway 5 will we'll never be the same for you. If you drive a bus or a truck for a living, this could be a difficult time for you, of course. So many of our listeners, Brett Loren, are truck drivers. We hear from you. You're part of our radio family. Our thoughts, our our, our hearts go out to you today because it's not easy to, to do what you do at the best of times, let alone after a tragedy like this. One of our loyal listeners reached out yesterday to share the fact that his parents were involved in a serious crash in that spot 25 years ago. Thankfully, they survived, so a lot of gratefulness along with the the reminder of what happened for that individual yesterday. The, The point is, this tragedy will have massive impact on our broader community. And those who were first on the scene yesterday will have faced something monumental, a situation unlike anything they have dealt with before. Many of those volunteers, in fact, from witnesses to first responders, the impacts will be long-lasting.
4: Their
5: responding agencies, whether it's Brandon City Police or whether it's the RCMP or whoever, whatever fire departments they're coming from, they will have their own debriefing and critical incident stress management debriefing. Their own uh, their own departments will look after that. There will be a long-lasting effect of what's happened today. Remember, we're dealing with a terrible scene this is going to affect all of the first responders at the scene and not only the first responders but those that witnessed it from from the highway there, there's going to be a long lasting effect and that's why the psychosocial piece is it, it's incredibly important that it is brought in as soon as we possibly can
2: so that is the voice of Shelley napier of napier consulting napier is a long-time emergency management trainer and educator and we know, of course, there are pictures and video on the Internet, which are images, as our colleague Julie Buckingham point out. You can't unsee them. Julie had some sound advice in reflection.
6: I would urge anyone who has access to video of that to consider very carefully before they view it, because it is It's gut-wrenching, and you can't unsee something like that. And again, uh, any video that will be used by this organization or pictures will be carefully vetted before it is used.
2: Of course, you know, there's social media and and where those videos and pictures go. And you think about family that would be looking and, and desperate for information, but of course witnessing those scenes and wondering if their loved one is among the living or the dead and so we have to consider that and of course consider where this goes today for so many and I know Richard Cloutier has joined you guys now in studio I'm at the crash site now at the TransCanada and the number five and Richard as I understand it you're heading to Dauphin today where it's safe to say the entire city is reeling.
7: Yeah the city of course is reeling and uh, it's still the not knowing because the one thing that we learned in Humboldt is that there was a a mistake made there. Remember when it came to identifying somebody? And uh, the members of the RCMP and the forensics unit that I've spoke to last night had emphasized that while it is important that we get this done as quickly as possible, we have to get it done right. And tends to reflect our coverage here because when you're dealing with The enormity of life and death situations you want to get it right and so one understands the waiting and um, the gravity of the scene given fire and everything I I don't think I have to go to that graphic explanation but uh, it does put uh, those that have to do uh, the work of identification to the test so that's what happens in the, and is continuing overnight into today. We will get an update from uh, the, the shared health about the conditions and more on the survivors on this. That should come mid to late morning today. Uh, and then, of course, in Dauphin, it's, um, it's going to be remembering people that. At that senior centre, and I think it was one of our colleagues here that said that uh, that bus rolls up uh, on a weekly basis, and, it, and it's that outing. It's that outing for a group of seniors that want to go, and in this case, all indications are that they were going down to the San Hills Casino. I've crossed that intersection many times. It is a very busy intersection, as we can hear uh, this morning. Just how much traffic is there, Loren? So, yeah, we're going to try to capture on a national basis as well as uh, the team from Global National comes in, um, respecting the privacy there, but also reflecting the lives that were lost there and the grieving that will continue, not just for days, but for weeks and months in that community.
0: How do we balance that need and want to know from the public, uh, that conduit that, that we become, but also that conduit of... Shared health, of RCMP, how careful, how measured is is the language in all three of those fronts, Rich?
7: Well, I I think, of course, um, the best advice I always have for people is if it's somebody talking about your relative or friend. And if you approach uh, whatever we do with that empathetic uh, type of coverage, um, I, I think people will know that we have a job to do. We have information to gather. You do it respectfully, but frankly, I think so far there are 15 lives that I think deserve to be honoured and tell people about who these individuals were. This does hearken back to, to Humboldt, but again, in the conversations that we've had, um, Humboldt, there was you know, so many young lives ahead, and in this case, these are seniors that have left their mark um, on generations, and that needs to be... Um, reflected in our coverage.
0: we We sent out, uh, you know, appreciation to so many people every day and and our first responders right at the top of the list, getting a text message right now from Ryan, who's a loyal listener tells us I'm a volunteer first responder and just hearing the details of the scene, I can, I can paint that picture in my head, how tragic it must've been. My heart goes out to all involved first responders to the, to the patients and and those who lost their lives. Yeah.
7: The ones that I know, and I've been to enough scenes before, uh, it's automatic. You get the job done, right? You get the job done and it's afterwards where you're starting to reflect on the gravity of the situation. But when you arrive you know what has to be done. And, uh, but even for the experienced ones, um, you understand how heartbreaking this is, guys.
1: Smackling McGarry and McNabb. Normally this is a time where we keep things light, goof off a little bit, share some laughs, and, and we can certainly lighten things up a little bit. But in lieu of what happened yesterday, this crash involving the deaths of 15 people, 10 in the hospital, it just had us thinking about you know what? To whom do we turn in a time of crisis? And you can feel free to join this conversation at 204-780-6868. Whatever that crisis may be, if it is you know, if, if it is grief involving the loss of a loved one, or perhaps it's uh, something just, you know, if you're having a bad day, who do you turn to? Do you have a go-to person or perhaps a group of people? And, uh, well, Loren McNabb at the crash site, uh, why don't we start with you?
2: I just want to make sure you guys can hear me okay here. Yep. Okay, thank you. Sorry, I, I just, um, I'm watching some vehicles go by now very slowly as they look to observe what happened here yesterday. And as I consider all the emotions so many people must be feeling this morning, I'm just supremely grateful to still have so much of my family to lean on. Uh, my sister is a rock. My brothers make me laugh. My mom and dad have empathy and understanding. And whenever I'm going through something, you know, you just kind of go through the Rolodex of siblings and parents and, and hope that one of them will answer the phone. And, you you know, it might depend if you're looking for that just that kind year or the decision making or someone just to tell you it's going to be okay. And I, I would just have to put my, I'm lucky, I know, and I'm just uh, extremely grateful for all of them this morning.
1: Well said, Loren. Thank you for that. Sarah McCarthy, why don't we go to you next?
6: My mom is also my rock. Um, just She just always knows what to say, all the right things. Never tells you what to do, but offers just the best advice. And I always know I can lean on all my family members. So definitely going to give them a call today.
1: For sure, no doubt. Cameron
7: Poitras, what about you, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have uh, two great women in my side. I, of course, have my my wife and my mom are two people that I can always always rely on. Um lucky to have, you know, the, the rest of my family, my brothers, uh, my uncles, my aunts, um, and my friends too, who, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we ever really get to things on an emotional basis. Very rarely. Um, not to say that they're not, that that couldn't happen. It's just, we, we like to keep each other laughing and talking and stuff like that. And, you know, that sometimes is just as therapeutic as, as having somebody to really lean on emotionally and stuff like that, like oh, sure. I would with my wife and my mom. So, yeah. Yeah, that
0: laughter is important, I think. In in in, in times like this, it uh, doesn't have to be the dominant emotion or, or uh, activity, but uh, a sense of humor sometimes lightens the mood. And, you know, I give my kids a hard time on the air and I like to bug them. But ironically, it's my kids that give me so much strength when things are not going my way. Uh, just that perspective that they create, you know, uh, uh, my, my meaning, the meaning of life has changed so much for me in the last 17 years, just dealing with my own stuff and trying to keep myself alive. And, and when your kids are born, it completely changes everything. And so, you know, for as supportive as I have in, in my family, my siblings and my friends, there's something about having those boys to take care of And to mentor and to teach them how to be emotional at the appropriate time, to be strong at other times, Uh, they'll get me through times like this for sure.
1: Well, it gives you purpose too, right? I mean, there's a, like, when you look at our panel, Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, there we have two parents, responsible parents, and then we have a third who is not a parent who also happens to be an irresponsible man-child, and that's me. Because <laughs> i got nobody to take care of. <laughs> I just got to get myself to work every day. And even today, sometimes that's a challenge, too. Forte, what about you? Well, of course, my parents. My parents
6: are, you know, my rock. But also my best friends, Liam and Alex, and... Uh, Uh, My buddy Liam, he moved out to London, Ontario a few years ago, but uh, he's back in town. So uh, I'm going to probably go see him this weekend, hopefully, or if not this weekend, uh, sometime very, very soon. But, uh, yeah, having those two, Liam and Alex, uh, in my life, it's just, you know, when you go through a hard time, I can always talk to them. And like you guys said, you can laugh and have a great time. And uh, they're just, they're they're very, very supportive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that that laughter does help. I remember, oh, I guess 10 years ago, the family dog died, Madison, and uh, everybody, you know, of course we were all sad and we were gathered as a family and my buddies were just happened to be getting together that night and I mentioned it and my mom said, well, why don't, just go, go, be with your friends. And uh, it helped because, you know, it was, hey, you're, the dog is a member of the family. So when you lose a family member, it's tough. But when you go in to see my buddies and having that those laughs really helped Uh just to remind you of what's important, and yeah, you, sometimes you lose things, but you you love what you still have. And uh, in, with Father's Day around the corner, I should point out that The Rock, as you've ter- pointed out, is is my father. I know that if I if I ever need anything, first call is t- to my dad. You know, like I, uh... <clears throat> damn it, a couple of years or er, f- 2019 when my uh, living situation fell apart and I had to find a new place. I uh stayed with my dad for a couple of weeks and he <laughs> took care of me. You know like I was just...
0: Damn it. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you. Sorry. we're, anyway, all, right. we're all kids, right? We're mm-hmm. still <laughs> always kids. Uh I will always be my dad's son. You will always be your dad's son. Uh your mum's not here anymore. My mum's not here anymore, but they're still our mums and our grandpas and our grandmas that had impact on our, our lives before they left us. They're always with us. And and you just exemplified that in a way um, that nobody else could, Brett. Thank you.
1: It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Loren McNabb is on location at the crash site near... Carberry, where 15 people were killed when a uh, bus, passenger bus and a semi-truck collided. Lorraine?
2: Well, this is where I'm standing right now, of course, at the corner where the scene has largely been cleared up, Brett There are some small pieces of debris. There's a patch of grass flattened and, and blackened, indicating where that bus would have come to a stop. And that bus... As you mentioned, it was carrying a group of seniors from Dauphin. That's two hours north of here. I'm facing north now on Highway 5. That's how you'd get here from this location. And we go there now to speak to Mayor David Boziak. And, and David, I, first off, our, our thoughts are with you, with your community. I think most of us can only imagine what you're all going through. And, and I wanted just to say thank you for taking the time. What can you tell us about what you've been learning from maybe family members or other community members last night and into this morning?
3: Um, well, as you can imagine, it's been a very um, troubling period of time for many residents in the community. I, I was um, at City Hall yesterday afternoon and then over to the Family Support Center, you know, with RCMP, and, and mental health support workers from Prairie gathered. And mm-hmm. well,
1: I believe we may have just lost... Uh, the mayor of Dauphin. If producer Jeff Forte you can just check off the air, uh, if the connection is uh, still available on that. Um, but uh, Loren, the you you were referring to the this the the, the, lo- the spot where the bus was, and uh, you sent us a picture of it. Uh, oh, sorry, Jeff. Is uh, are we good to go? Yep, yeah, thumbs up. Okay. Uh, so, Mr. Mayor, sorry about that. Carry on with what you were saying.
3: Yeah, no, sorry about the sketchy uh, cell connection. Uh, no, I, at last evening uh, when I was at the at the Family Resource Centre and support centre that the RCMP and Prairie Mountain Health support staff had set up, there was some family members outside. And I guess the most troubling aspect of the whole situation is just, you know, receiving information and uh, the slow pace that that comes in at. And uh, again, so we're just uh, trying to comfort the folks here as best we can but um, uh, the next few hours and the next few days are going to be the most difficult as people start to hear definitively, you know, the condition of their loved ones and whether or not they had survived and all of those kinds of things. So it's it's just a, it's mind boggling, to be honest with you right now.
0: Mayor Boziak, uh, it's Greg Mackling here, sending love, support and a great big hug to all of you in Dauphin this morning. How do you... How do you balance that need, that want for information from the public, from those most impacted with the pace at which it comes? Uh, You know, Richard Cloutier mentioned about a half hour ago the idea that we know that officials are going to be very careful based on the lessons learned in Humboldt.
3: That's absolutely correct. And we've already reached out to, to Humboldt and they've responded and our city manager has been in communication with them and and there were lessons learned last time and, and we again have a very close relationship here with our local R C M P and, and they've been um you know, providing us with as much information as they can as it becomes available. But it's just that um that combination of emotion and um and that's always hard to deal with when people are, are responding based on your emotional response, And, and it's just going to be tough. It, it really will be, but we are trying to put all the supports in place and you know the next few hours on. Um, i'll be at city hall and we'll be um having communication with the Green municipality with our fire chief and with the local rcmp and we'll get it all figured out eventually i'm, I'm certain of that but just you know the, the uncertainty is is the hardest part and you know I, I saw a couple of folks last night um who i knew it you know the you know it's not a cliche literally everybody in this community will know someone who was involved and um, and so just the anguish on their faces, they were waiting to hear and, and um, some people, you know, had gotten some information and were quickly um, gathering up things and heading off to Winnipeg to the Health Sciences Centre. So it's just a whole combination of of um, responses, both emotional and, and otherwise. So it's, it's challenging, that's for
1: sure. I don't wish this upon anyone. David Boziak is the mayor of Dauphin and Mayor Boziak, Dauphin is a city, but, you know, I understand it's a tight-knit community. Can you just talk maybe a little bit about that that sense of you know, closeness that uh, you feel in your community?
3: Well, absolutely. And just, um, you know, the response from the people last night at the, at the support centre, the, the amount of... Um the amount of feedback that we've received from from people has been um, amazing from across the country actually and and uh, and so uh, yeah like i said we'll we'll eventually figure it out um, right now it's just a matter of trying to comfort those people that are in in greatest um, in greatest despair and uh, you know we'll take it one step at a time
2: if people do go to that center and I know it was at one of the local churches mr. mayor comfort must be might be one of the only things that can be given right now given just that wait for information
3: yes and just compassion and just trying to you know let people grieve in different ways obviously and um it's just a uh, i was i was I was impressed with the tactfulness that the RCMP and the mental health workers were were showing and um it's it's just it it's sad and that's about all I can really say at this moment but like I said, there's um, time will will help us, and um, we're just we're just very grateful for the the outpouring of support from folks. And if I can say anything, um, um, if you know people have asked, what can we do? And, and all I would ask is that if you know someone in our community or you're friends with someone here, uh, reach out. Um, you know, give them a call, send them a message, let them know you're thinking about them. Because I know that that's That's been um, tremendously helpful so far and certainly will be needed over the next um, hours and days and weeks as we
1: deal with this. David Boziak is the Mayor of Dauphin. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb as we continue our coverage of the crash near Carberry on Highway 1 that killed 15 people and sent 10 to hospital. We do have... Some other things to attend to as well in our next segment. Normally, right, now, this is the segment where we do the couch potatoes thing, tell you what's new at the movies. Well, we can quickly tell you in our next segment what's new at the movies. We also have our latest winner of couch potatoes and our latest winner for Flippin' Awesome Dads with Lux Barbecue Company. And John Shannon has the Friday Hockey Report. He's got some thoughts on how the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup victory could change how the NHL operates. But uh, Mackling and McGarry in studio. Loren is on scene at the crash site. And, you know, we're trying to sort through all the emotions involved in yesterday's crash. And that's going to be complicated for those involved, for the family members, for the first
0: responders, and the community at large. Yeah, and so in times of crisis, we... As a radio station, often turn to our next guest. She speaks with Hal Anderson every Thursday on Connecting Winnipeg. Car- Carolyn Clausen with Conexus Counseling joins us now. Carolyn, uh, we appreciate, uh, as always, uh, your friendship. Good morning.
5: Good morning. It is really good to be with you on this very sad morning for Manitoba.
0: Yeah, yesterday afternoon, uh, many of us got word of what was taking place and what had taken place in western Manitoba. And. You know, it's a personal thing for a lot of folks, anybody who travels through there on a regular basis. I spent four years of my life in Brandon, driving from Brandon to Winnipeg, Winnipeg to Brandon, crossed through, crossed through that intersection easily 150 times in my life. For many, it'll be much more than that. But it's impossible, I think, to to not have some sort of personal connection, some personal reaction to news like this based on where we're from, based on where we've been, Carolyn? Oh,
5: it's so true, I think that intersection is something that many of us are aware that we've passed over numerous times, and uh, we are aware that there but for the grace of God go we, right, that uh, it could have been any vehicle that would have been, and any of us could have been in it, and we know, so many of us know, you know, aunties and grandmas and grandpas and uncles that take those bus tours as a great form of fun to tour about Manitoba during our wonderful summer, and so... We are aware it could have been any one of our relatives um, that would have been on a bus like that. And so the fragility of life and the vulnerability, the uncertainty, um, sort of the risk that we all just bear in being alive as we go about our day, it becomes very real when we are so aware of this tragedy and have so much compassion for those families who've been turned upside down um, with, you know, finding out that um, this tragedy happened and that their relative was on this bus.
2: We just spoke to the mayor of, of Dauphin just after seven, Carolyn, and compassion was the word he said they were trying to show too, right? At that center and, and just give comfort because there's so many unknowns right now. There are some family members, members that don't know yet, uh, if their loved one is okay or they're just learning the news this morning. And, and if, if there's people out there who, who know somebody who, who is now going through this unspeakable tragedy, how do you pick up the phone or, or go over and, what are the first words you should say? Is there? I know there's no rule book for something like this, but, but people want to help. How How can we do that with our words or actions?
5: I think the big thing is just to show up and to show up and to acknowledge how incredibly sad this is and to not try to do anything to make them feel better. There is nothing that anyone can do to make them feel better. Your presence via a text or a phone call or showing up at the door and dropping something off it's showing that you're present and that you care, and that means a lot. But the devastation is something that's just simply that, devastating. And so if you can just go there and not try to pretty it up, but just to sort of sit in the painful, ugly of them, uh, of it right now. This is a time of sort of shock, trying to wrap their head around it. There's not a lot of deep thoughts. It's a lot of just sitting quietly and trying to just hold space for how horrible this feels, how impossible it feels, how unreal it feels, and yet, unfortunately, how real it actually is.
1: Also in situations like this, Carolyn, I think many of us will be wanting updates and and can become even obsessed with staying on top of the news. Uh, Is that healthy?
5: Well, I think... It's it's sort of funny where you know I feel like I want to honor the victims and their families and and there's so little that I can do and it feels like in a weird way that if I check the news or I check to see what's happening that that's a way of honoring and saying it matters and I care Uh, but I think we need to figure out as we feel that compassion to do something I think we have to be careful about our nervous systems acknowledge that this has happened. And as we wonder aloud how we can, you know, do something with the compassion that wells up inside, uh, I've been thinking about how there's been seniors on that bus. And can we feel the pull to be a little kinder to the senior at the store in front of us or the slower pedestrian who's walking across the sidewalk? And can we just hold space to be kind to the elderly people we see around us to exercise some of that compassion? Because those are things that we can do in a world where we feel so helpless
0: we're getting message of of compassion and camaraderie from our listeners who are you know sensing our tone today and this is sort of brett and i had this discussion off air carolyn uh earlier this morning you know we're we're, we're trying to be reflective we're trying to be ourselves like we would be any other day uh, with any other situation that's the difference between you know all news and news radio and news talk radio that that we're we're having the conversations that Manitobans are, are having today. How how do you, how do you measure all that when, when, when we're coming in contact with others and how do we, how do we balance that out? Because we're trying to do that very same thing today, right? We we need to to balance our programming, our spirits and the the news and information and other things that we're delivering. How I'm sure a lot of people are, are struggling with that internally today.
5: Yes, and I I think we need to hold space for this is hard and it feels almost wrong to do normal things or to laugh at a joke. But I also think we need to recognize that during really hard times, This is going to be hard for a long time for Dauphin. They're going to need support ongoing. And we're going to need to resource ourselves to be able to be compassionate to them. And so routine is really important. And the good thing about what's going to happen in Dauphin this morning is that there's going to be lots of school kids that are going to wake up and they're going to need breakfast. And so people, whether they feel like it or not, are going to have to make breakfast for their kids and send them off to school. And although it will seem weird and they don't really feel like it and it it just sort of seems wrong to be doing normal things, it actually those kinds of things are good for us as we do the things that we always do in order to sustain ourselves and to keep a sense of this is hard and we're not okay but we're going to be okay and we're continuing on Uh, that's what we do in order to get through hard times is put one foot ahead of the other and I can hear the music that you play as you know we began our conversation but I also heard you guys chuckle about the golf course because music on the golf course can be sort of funny and people need a a laugh in the middle of it all because we need to come up for air because we're going to go back down into that hard time of reflecting and being aware of the grief
2: and it's not just you know there's that direct impact carolyn right there's the families that are um learning this devastating news last night overnight this morning But then there's people, you know, I'm watching people here. I'm at the corner of Highway 5 and the number one, people slowing down to pause and and look at the scene. There's trucks that have pulled over and gotten out. There are people who might have passed here before when there were other crashes. And we've heard from listeners that even just hearing about this, you know, was triggering for them in the accident that they passed years ago or where they lost their own loved ones, whether it was at this corner or others, because there's that sort of ripple effect.
5: Absolutely, uh, I was at the, I was at one of the first responders uh, but we just came up uh, at an accident, a bus accident that rolled on the Coquihalla and there was 50 some victims of uh, Asian tourists, most of them didn't speak English and I spent hours on the side of the road providing first aid and that was my first thought too, was remembering what that was like. I think during a time of tragedy our brains go back to the times when it felt similar to our own tragedies and so we are not only grieving this bus accident, which is also, but people grieve the other griefs that they've had in their life, the similar traumas that, that bump up against this. And it's like that wound that's deep underneath got bumped with this. And so there's all sorts of people grieving all sorts of things today as it has become fresh. And that's a pretty normal thing that happens. And so it might feel uncomfortable and weird because you think that happened a long time ago. Why is it bothering me today? That's part of what happens when something like this happens.
1: Carolyn, we're thankful you are part of our family here at 680 CJOB. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate this very much.
5: Oh, it's good. We need each other, and it's good to be together.
1: Carolyn Clausen is with Connexus Counseling. She's on every Thursday with Hal Anderson on Connecting Winnipeg on loan this morning for us on the start. And if you'd like to visit her website, connexuscounseling.ca, and she wrote a blog, about that Coquihalla situation. We can send you a link for that if you would like that. RCMP in Manitoba said yesterday, this crash is unparalleled to anything else we've ever seen in our province. Our own Lorette McNabb is in Westman this morning.
2: You know, I had reflected with you guys this morning, and as I stand here at the corner of Highway One, Highway Five, where this horrific collision occurred, it's hard to believe that there's that chaotic scene just less than 24 hours ago. It's mostly cleaned up. There's the odd scar in the earth, you know, and and there's the the blackened grass that I've referenced uh, of where that bus would have come to a stop. But the scene here is largely clear, but it's extremely busy. And Global News Morning Reporter Clay Young is also here this intersection has trucks going through it on non-stop throughout the night throughout the morning and clay i know you worked in this area for years can you talk a bit about what you know about this intersection in terms of the, the times you've been out here for all the wrong
8: reasons that's right uh, you know when when i first heard about this yesterday i go oh my goodness not another one because when i did work out in uh brandon for a number of years this intersection highway 5 and the trans canada has been the site of other very serious collisions nothing like what happened yesterday of course but there have been some deadly incidents at this intersection now they have improved safety over the years there's a couple of stop signs but there have been calls over the years, and maybe it's time the province takes a, a serious look at this, of bringing in, like, controlled lights, like a uh, red light, green light, yellow light, uh, because it, it's a little confusing when you're coming down the Trans-Canada and you want to come down Highway 5 to get into Carberry. Uh, just a few minutes ago, someone with the province, he identified himself, he was with Highways, And he started taking some pictures of the downed stop sign, which is still laying on its side on the ground. But, uh, yeah, uh, and I've been thinking a lot about Humboldt as I was driving out here. Because the night of the Humboldt crash, we had the mayor of Humboldt on. and, And he was talking about how devastated Humboldt is. And our thoughts, of course, are all going out to the people of Dauphin who are reeling over what happened
0: here clay you mentioned that intersection and it's well lit if you're driving through there at night has been for a long long time uh, but you mentioned the fact that there are no traffic signals there I, I, you know this is as someone who is very much against traffic signals on the trans canada highway i think we should have a better infrastructure than that uh, along the trans canada highway but the idea that carberry is not the same community it was 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, it's a bustling place again with that potato plant and uh, that potato plant has, has been expanded to my knowledge. and so that intersection is likely as busy now as it's ever been.
8: Of course and you know from what we understand, uh, the bus carrying the seniors was on its way to the Sand Hills Casino. Which is always busy, and as you're coming down the highway and you're getting close to this area, there are signs erected advertising for you know stop in to the Sand Hills Casino. Yeah, Carbury is a bustling town. It's just down the road from Brandon, which has been impacted by this as well because many of the injured were taken to the Brandon Hospital, which is where we're going after uh, we're finished up here this morning.
1: Clay, you go ahead, Loren. Sorry.
2: I wanted to just, you know, just to let everyone know and our listeners know as well that, uh, we are expecting what we learned last night was 15 people had died as many as 25 people on that bus, about 10 sent to different hospitals. And so we're sort of in the middle of it all. Carberry, uh, is in between Portage and Brandon. Some people were sent to Brandon. Some people were sent to Portage. Some people sent to Winnipeg and shared health is expecting to provide an update, uh, later this afternoon. And I just wanted to say that because information, um, is key here, and I and I think, Clay, that's one of the hard parts from what we're hearing from people not just in this community, but of course the community of Dauphin, is that there's so many are still waiting to figure out what happened to the person that they believe to be on the bus uh, yesterday.
8: Yeah, and I've been in communication with the RCMP this morning looking for any new information, and they're saying you know, you're going to have to hang on uh, this is going to be a lengthy investigation, and, and some of the clips that we've been running uh, from the RCMP from yesterday, they have not ruled out possible criminal charges in, in this incident. But they're still trying to piece together what happened. So we're just going to have
1: to be patient. And Clay, before we let you go, you spent a lot of time in western Manitoba. And Brandon, can you maybe just talk about, you know, what was your impression of the, the sense of community in West Man?
8: Well, I've interviewed, um, you know, during that time I was out here. Uh, uh, Carberry was one of my regular stops. I got to know the mayor of Carberry. Uh, he's since left office, uh, Stuart Olmstead. But I would have that that gentleman on the air uh, here in Brandon uh, about accidents that keep happening here at this intersection. And he was calling for better lighting. Yeah, it is light. Uh, lit up here at night but i i think this is going to reopen the conversation about we gotta have a long look at this intersection and find out why there's been so many crashes
1: clay young global news morning thank you very much sir we appreciate it you bet guys clay young reporting live from the crash scene on highway one where loren mcnab Is also joining us today.
0: I know we'll have lots of time to talk about the possible solutions to the number of crashes at this intersection. Uh, The one thing that jumps out for me is the fact that there isn't even a a suggested slowdown of the speed limit. The speed limit between Brandon and Carberry as you head towards Winnipeg eastbound is 100 kilometres per hour. Not too far east of that. It moves to 110 kilometers per hour. So conversely, when you're driving towards Brandon, it's just east of Carberry where the speed limit goes from 110 to 100. But at that intersection, it remains 100.
2: There is There are signs, you know, ahead of that slowdown from 110 to 100 uh, where they have speed change ahead you know they alert you that the speed is going to be slower and then there's these bright orange flags attached to the 100 kilometer sign alerting to to the fact that you need to go 10 kilometers slower but this intersection is extremely busy it has been non-stop traffic coming and going in and out of carberry of course across the trans canada we have no sense of exactly what happened here yesterday and i know that will be part of the many questions so many people will be asking at eight we're going to talk to a former CMP officer who investigated traffic collisions investigated crashes he was an analyst at one point we'll get some of his thoughts because uh devastating news lots to still learn
1: It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning as we continue our coverage of what happened yesterday on Highway 1 at Highway 5. Loren is live on location at the crash site. And look, there are all sorts of questions to be answered in the wake of the horrific crash that took the lives of 15 people yesterday.
0: We know family members are looking for answers. Some still trying to find out how their mom or dad or grandpa potentially... But riding the bus are doing. It's our understanding, Loren, that Shared Health will be providing some sort of update later today.
2: And we can only imagine, you know, that feeling that they have of that quest for answers, that desire just to have some, know something, and, and and we hope to get that information to people as soon as possible. And then, of course, there are questions as to what happened at the corner where I am right now. What happened at this corner of Highway 5 and the Trans-Canada yesterday when this bus, carrying as many as 25 people and the semi Collided. Here's what RCMP had to say about the investigation.
3: This incident does have echoes of the tragic collision that happened in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and we are very much aware of that. We have already linked into the investigators in Saskatchewan who have first hand experience and were some of the primary investigators in the investigation into the Humboldt crash, who are assisting us right now in any way we can.
2: Yeah, RCMP reaching out to Humboldt for advice The the mayor of Dauphin told us just after seven, they too have spoken to community members and people in Humboldt just trying to find if there's anything they can learn from them, any advice that can be given. And of course, what we know is that the truck was traveling east towards Winnipeg, the semi truck. The bus was crossing the Trans-Canada on Highway 5 when that collision happened. And our next guest spent 25 years as a municipal traffic and highway patrol officer with the RCMP. He also spent a year as a collision analyst, and we're joined now by retired RCMP member Rob Creaser. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. In the hours after the crash, perhaps if you could walk us through what you know might have been the things that officers might have been doing, the questions that might get asked in a horrific moment like this.
9: Well, first of all, they do their best to secure the scene to make sure that... uh there was no contamination of the evidence that was going to be found there. Now, it's, it's somewhat easier in a major highway crash like that because traffic is obviously stopped and uh, you eventually reroute that. But you, you want to secure the scene for, for evidence and the first responders that are there are going to be, of course, trying to preserve life. If they find people alive, that's your first priority. And once those people are are dealt with, then you uh, you know you're speaking to witnesses and you're you're uh, protecting the scene until somebody like a collision reconstructionist can get there and actually start putting things together.
0: So, Rob, give us an idea of what the reconstructionist we'll be looking for based on the fact that the highway has reopened in both directions. Is it safe to assume that work has been completed? At least the field work has been completed and the, and the data that can be gathered uh, from, from the scene has, has happened?
9: Yes. I would imagine if, if they've opened up the highway, that, that the, the field work has, um, has been gathered and whatever evidence they've found that they've been able to document and now you start piecing things together in terms of, you know, what you found in terms of gouges on the highway, any tire marks, um, trying to, uh, you know, determine exactly what happened, what kind of speeds were involved, uh, that type of thing.
1: And in terms of certainty, when uh, you you know a conclusion is made, um, is like how confident. It typically, it, it, would it, would an analysis be uh, we, after you look at everything and go, okay, this, can you say like definitively this is what happened, or is it more like this is our closest guess?
9: Well, I think between uh, gathering the the forensic evidence and actually speaking to people that may have witnessed it, you you come to a pretty good conclusion about uh, what took place. Um, so it's, it's, it's not absolutely definitive, but it's, it's pretty close.
2: There's the technical answers that people will be looking for and, and you know, the whys and the hows and what went wrong, Rob. But then of course, there's just that, the, the horrible humo, human element to it all, the loss. And I'm, I'm willing to guess that this is, this is going to go down as is one of the worst crashes we've seen in this province. Uh, you spent most of your career in B.C., i'm willing to guess you have come upon scenes where you you yourself yes you want to know what happened but there's the people and the families and the first responders to think of uh, in the hours and days after something like this
9: oh absolutely uh, absolutely this is a, a horrific incident and uh you know the comparisons have already been made to humboldt saskatchewan and the the trauma that was witnessed there um, so yeah, I I do feel uh, you know I I, I kind of relived some of the the crashes that I went to every time I hear a, a major incident like this, and it you know I've been out of the RCMP now for thirteen years, but these type of things never leave you.
0: Talk about that a little bit, Rob, before we we, we let you move on here just the idea that 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 cannot be easy work and and talk about how you've dealt with what you've seen throughout your career now that you're retired at least from from that position
9: well you know i did you know there was there's a few crashes that that really um left an impression on me nothing of this magnitude you know, hopefully the RCMP has got better over time at making sure the mental health needs of their employees are dealt with and that we're at a point in time now where if you're, you're suffering, that you're no longer afraid to reach out. And I, I certainly in my career did reach out at times when I was struggling. And, um, I, I hope those supports are are available, and I hope the people um, make good use of them, that's for sure.
1: Rob Creaser, retired RCMP member, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Rob, once again, Rob spent 25 years as a municipal traffic and highway patrol officer with the RCMP and also spent a year as a collision analyst. And indeed, our hearts go out to the first responders as well. I mean, we all have... Tough days at work, you know. We sometimes, it's, or maybe the job might be tough. Or you're like, "How do how am I going to deal with this today?" But just trying to imagine what it's like to be the person responding to that scene yesterday, and to like, you're there to do a job, and it's you. You might be feeling the same horror that any just passerby might be feeling, but you got
0: to say, you got to put that aside and say, "Okay, like, let's get to work." While you're going to. The epicenter. You're going to the trouble. Uh, That's your instinct. That's your job. That's your training. We know uh, by from reports at least a dumb a a dozen ambulances on the scene at one point. Multiple stars units, not only Manitoba but from Saskatchewan as well. We mentioned earlier the volunteer uh, firefighters and first responders that might have been on the scene. Multiple RCMP units. Like you're talking about dozens of people here, Loren. And so we've also mentioned the idea that those that witness this are going to be having a hard time. And those that maybe have had incidents like this, you know, crashes on the highway, might be really feeling it today. One of our listeners saying this, my husband and I were traveling the Trans-Canada Highway heading to Winnipeg. A car crossing the Trans-Canada at Hellcorn pulled out in front of us and there was no time to stop. We T-boned a car with four teenagers inside. We ended up... In, in the ditch, missing a hydro pole by about two inches. The outcome could have been very different if not for good luck. All six of us had to go to a hospital in Verdon and were all released that night. Every time we drive past that intersection, we relive. That accident. There are so many of those types of intersections along the Trans-Canada. Everyone needs to remember to look once one way and twice the other. Such a tragic event. I cannot imagine the terror felt by the occupants
2: of that I was bus. thinking of that, and I want to thank that listener for sharing that because, you know, as I came down the Trans-Canada this morning towards Highway 5, there are markers across this road and others, right? The crosses marking the spot where someone lost their life in a highway crash. And this one... It is historic for for all the wrong reasons, and so this will be forever a reminder to people. And as we talk about what was seen, we have to then talk about what was shared from first responders to loved ones. That phone call that they had to make to a family member, the knock on the door that had to be made to a family member. And we know there are family members out there still waiting, and we are doing our best to get the information you need. Because now the the, the thing about this now is that this is such a public, public loss that our quest for information becomes, in so many respects, Manitoba's quest. And at the heart of it all is really the people who need the answers most.
1: It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb as we continue our coverage of the crash that claimed the lives of 15 people yesterday on the Trans-Canada Highway. It's part of life, the gut-wrenching, inevitable experience of losing somebody we love. For as common an experience as dealing with grief is, we all process and
0: deal with loss differently. Our next guest is here to help us, as she has done for so many others. Kyla Bernardo is the owner of Purposeful Counseling. Kyla is a certified grief counseling specialist. Kyla, thank you for taking some time with us this morning. We appreciate you joining us on The Start. Thank
9: you for having me.
0: Let's begin with the notion that that grief is different for
7: everyone.
4: Mm-hmm. It 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 shows up differently for everybody, and I think with especially something as big as what's happened, um, you, you know, you might encounter folks who are like, "Well, why aren't you grieving like me?" or um why aren't you feeling this way or how come i'm feeling this way and you're not like all these different questions and i think the biggest thing that needs to be kind of understood especially with grief is that it is going to be different for everybody and it is going to look different for everybody so some people might have physical physiological reactions where you know they feel fatigued or constant headache or they, they, they want to isolate and other people will feel, you know, angry or worried or helpless. Right. So it's very different. And and people can feel all of those things too.
2: Desperate might be one of the words that comes to mind for me too, for how family members might be feeling this morning and just this idea you know as they they look for answers and try to figure out maybe even where their loved one is and and as they have that deeply personal experience going on i'm at the intersection where all this happened and you know vehicles are slowing down and people are pausing and the look on people's faces you know as they digest what went down here there's also that collective grief too i mean this is not my pain it's someone else's pain but how do you manage feeling what you're feeling knowing that it's so much worse for others And
4: and I think this is where it's important we can't really compare. Comparison is just going to create more suffering for folks. I think one of the biggest things is, yes, this incident has happened and it's going to trigger a lot of various things for other people, like people who've recently experienced loss, people who have, you know, come had near death experiences in a similar fashion or people who've lost somebody in a car accident or on the highway, like it's going to trigger a lot of big emotions for folks. And we can't minimize that, um, but we can, you know, honor that. And I think one of the biggest things that I've been taught in my kind of Grief Educator course, is that grief just needs to be witnessed, period. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What about kids and grief? I understand you have some thoughts about the forgotten grievers.
4: I I think there's this, um, you know, kids get forgotten because, you know, we don't feel as if they will either remember things or... Um, they can't really articulate things so it's not going to be that big of a deal but um, there like I think there was a study that was done where kids brains like it, it, it like it functions just like an adult it's just kids don't have the logical part of the brain developed yet to be able to discuss to be able to articulate to be able to explain what it is that they're feeling so they will manifest as you know becoming more clingy or asking questions making sure that the adults in their life are going to come back home after work or just worry and concern and it's going to look differently for for various you know kids but i think it's important for for adults to be kind of honest with children but developmentally appropriate for children right so younger kids preschool kids very concrete thinking. So saying something like, oh, they've passed on or they're just sleeping as a way to kind of minimize grief is it's gonna create more fear in these kids because it's like, oh, if I fall asleep, what if I die? Right? So developmentally appropriate is, is talking about kind of like, you know, people die, bodies stop functioning, Um, you know, and and really kind of going from there. You you don't really need to kind of over-explain because kids will get confused and overwhelmed. You
0: know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, Kyla Bernardo is owner of Purposeful Counseling. Kyla is a certified grief counseling specialist. And the idea of maybe unresolved grief, Kyla, I want to ask you about that because today, yesterday, or tomorrow might, you know, we might be feeling the after effects of a loss or experience from years ago. It might be two years ago. It might be 30 years ago or somewhere in between. These events can clearly be triggering for some. Could that also be an indication that you're dealing with some unresolved grief?
4: Definitely. Uh, But I I just want to kind of clarify grief is often seen as this terrifying, messy emotion that needs to be cleaned up and put behind us as soon as possible. I mean, that's what kind of our society has shown. I mean, bereavement leaves is, what, three days to a week? And that gives us the impression that, oh, we need to be over our grief in three days to a week. And so I think grief is, grief lasts as long as love lasts. And so in grief, there is no fixing. Grief is not a problem to be solved or resolved or fixed. Grief is basically figuring out how to move forward without these people in our lives anymore. So I don't feel like you can quote unquote get over grief. I think it kind of lessens in intensity over time, but it's still there because a year from now, there's going to be the first year without the person. There's going to be milestone moments without a person. There's going to be, you know, um, remembering, oh, I used to go to this restaurant with this person and I, this person is no longer here, right? So it's it's an ongoing thing that doesn't get talked about. Grief is often not talked about.
1: Our guest is Kyla Bernard- Bernardo, owner of Purposeful Counseling, uh, Chief or Certified Grief Counseling Specialist. And Kyle, I'm just looking at the clock and realized we are out of time, but we thank you mm-hmm. very much for, for joining us today to provide us with this insight, this important insight. Thank you.
4: Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Um, and I just wanted to give some resources for folks, refugeandgrief.com, grief.com, very helpful um, websites to help kind of manage grief um, or how to cope um and give some tips there too. And also reaching out to therapists or through EAP support groups, different things like that can really help um, in this really, really difficult time.
1: It is Mackling McGarry, McNabb. We have some tickets to give away for a great show that's coming to Winnipeg in November. But before that, Loren McNabb is on location at the crash site on Highway 1 near Carberry. And Lorraine, uh, we understand police are back at the site.
2: We just spotted a a car pull over. It would be a ghost vehicle, and a couple officers uh, got out with their uniforms on, and they were just um, walking back and forth in the ditch area on the west side of number one, on the southwest corner of this intersection. Not sure what they're up to. I'm going to go see if I can find a bit more information. It's possible they're here just to to look. It's also possible they're here to look at the traffic situation. We also have to remember there's a lot of people... um, slowing down and pausing to take a look at what's going on here, and and so there could be a number of reasons why they are here, but they were just out looking about a moment ago, and I wanted to provide that update.
1: All right. in the meantime, we have tickets to give away for Dog Man the Musical, which is coming to the Centennial Concert Hall on November 10th, and normally we get you to weigh in on The chat that we have at 645 and then we pick a winner from that. But today, Greg, uh, we read Ryan's text, part of Ryan's text earlier because he's since followed up. But we read some of it earlier. We decided to award it to Ryan. Why don't you tell us why?
0: Well, Ryan is a volunteer first responder. And we know that on the scene yesterday would have been first responders of a volunteer nature uh, in rural Manitoba and rural Canada, uh, volunteer firefighters and first responders are are part of the infrastructure, are part of uh, of the safety net that we all count on. Whether you've ever met one or not, uh, these are incredible people. And Ryan is one of those volunteer first responders. And says, just hearing the details of the scene, I can paint that picture of how tra- tra- tragic it must have been. My heart goes out to all involved first responders. To the, the, the patients who lost their lives and uh, went back and forth with, with Ryan a couple times and, and thanked him for doing what he does. He says, I absolutely love providing that service for my community and hope it turns into a full-time career even with the toughness of the job. I hope for some proper infrastructure like above-grade interchanges along the number one. So Ryan, once again, thank you for doing what you do for for the greater good of, of our overall community.
1: It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb is on location at the crash site on Highway 1. She's going to join us again in our next segment because we have other things we would like to discuss uh, this morning, and we'll have full coverage through the day on what's happening out near Carberry after 15 lives were lost yesterday. But right now we want to discuss, you know, like we connect with our guests for the first time in a variety of ways. Sometimes comes from... One of the dozens of media releases we receive on a weekly basis. But this one jumped out. Le Musée de Saint Boniface Museum is pleased to present Story Shifters, an exhibition of resilience and reconciliation. Story Shifters is the culmination of a four year long project giving voice to the compelling stories of six First Nations and Metis women Cheryl N. Bird, Patricia Caribou, Pauline Hintz, Chris LaRuck Larson, Linda Manitowabi, and Victoria McIntosh. Through this process of storytelling, sharing Indigenous knowledge, and creating art together, the actions of the group evokes hope and understanding. In the process of telling these stories to others, Story Shifters aims to bring meaning and a sense of belonging and connection, not only to the artist's own
0: lives, but to the lives of their families and communities. So I would say meaningful, powerful, impactful stories are a big part of what we do on 680 CJOB Loic. Remon is Outreach and Experiences Coordinator Let Le Musée du Saint-Boniface. St. Boniface Museum joins us in studio. Look, good morning. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance.
6: Good morning. I'm glad, I'm glad to be here. That's <laughs> yeah,
0: great. Yeah, it's great that you, you managed to come and see us in person as well. This this really uh, was an impactful uh, release, and 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 just what this exhibit is trying to do. It's open to the public. It starts on June 18th, runs through very fittingly through September 30th. Talk about how it came together.
6: Uh, well. Chris really just approached us and thought that the Saint Boniface Museum would be a great place to host this, since it's such a pillar in the community for such a long time. Not only for the French community, but for the Métis as well, uh, where we're we're always trying to protect and find more about the history of the French communities and the Métis, and kind of keep it alive. So this is definitely part of that.
0: You mentioned Chris Chris Larson. Tell us about Chris.
6: Yeah, so she, she's really the one that started the project. Um, so uh, with the exhibit, we're going to have like this little brochure that, that you can get with a lot of extra information on all the artists um, and their kind of their point of views on what the project means to them because obviously everyone has their own reason for being part of it. Um, but Chris really just wanted to highlight how strong um, First Nations and Métis women are.
1: So the the project Story Shifters projects like this, why would you say they're important?
6: Well, uh, for such a long time, especially in museums and and especially in the art world, um, it's been kind of, I don't know, hard for anyone who's not white to kind of have a voice and to be able to be heard and kind of have their own stories out there. And not sugar-coated either, which is also a, a pretty big problem with uh, retelling history.
0: So when we talk about the, the St. Boniface museum, it's, it's history, the building itself, obviously uh, the, I believe it's the oldest structure in Western Canada or close to it. It, uh, it has been a convent. It was a hospital, right? So it's history ties into the colonial history uh, and the colonization of this part of the world. So there, there's an interesting dichotomy there somewhat.
6: Yeah, exactly. Like, um, The museum building itself was there even before Treaty 1, so that's pretty impressive if you think about it. Um, And I know, like, one of the um, artists, when she walked up, she was like, this building reminded me of the residential schools because of how it looks physically. Because they would have been built the same way, right? Or in a similar fashion. So, like, just, like, thinking of that and, like, the impact of, like, then her showing her side of, and her story, and not only her story, but her family's story and all that kind of really brings everything together in my, in my point of view. Anyways, it's really important.
1: As a society at large, do you think we're, we're starting to move in the right direction when it comes to reconciliation?
6: There's still a lot of work to do, to do. (laughs) Um, But this is definitely a way to start Uh, being able to give spaces like that and to, give the opportunity to um, a lot of different people like Chris and all the artists that are participating in this never would have had an opportunity like this, like say 10 years ago even.
0: So it is the very nature and the very venue for this exhibition an act of reconciliation itself?
6: Oh yeah, for sure. Like I think it's it's good that we are able to bring in so many like First Nations and Métis women into the space that originally was more like like a convent and stuff. Where it, like for me, it would have been more about I don't know, kind of erasing that part of who they were if they were to be in that building uh, with the nuns like back in the day. But for now, it's like celebrating the fact that we're different and that we have different cultures and languages and all that. So I think
1: it's nice. Our guest is Luke Raymond, Outreach and Experiences Coordinator at St. Boniface Museum, talking about an exhibit called Story Shifters, Stories of Resilience and Hope that will be on display uh, starting on June 18th to September 30th. So, I don't know, give us an example of like, one of the stories that we will learn if we go to, see, go to this exhibit.
6: Uh, well, one artist has like five, I think five different really awesome paintings that all have different meanings behind them. Um, so that one, I think is definitely someone to look out for. It's Victoria's pieces I always gravitate towards. There's one for like uh, residential school children. There's some with like, um, it's, it has like birds on it and it has to do with like kind of letting your creation like creativity kind of flow and see the world through the, the view like of a child where like if you go through the uh, walking through the park, you you have like, a child will see like a fortress and like magical beings. And we're just seeing trees. So we have to kind of see the world differently again, kind of like how we did as children.
0: At museums traditionally will, will, you know, create these vignettes. We'll create these spaces within the museum that tell a story almost definitively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've, we've come to learn or come to expect that, that museums are, they're like literature to a certain extent, right? They're the history book of our of our country, of our province, of our city. But when you add that art element, that changes things a little bit because art is always open to interpretation.
6: Yeah, for sure. Like walking up to the painting, you might feel something different when you look at it because that's what gr- is great about art. You might look at the same painting and see something completely different or something f- like when you first look at it, something different will stand out to you than it did to me. Um, so being able to express stories through art just adds a, an extra like layer of communication. I think, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, on that front, what, like let's say, like for example, I I often joke that I'm an I'd like to think of myself as an uncultured lout, which isn't <laughs> entirely true. But when it comes to art specifically, like when when I see people who will look at a at a painting and and describe all all these emotions or these things that they, they're seeing and interpreting. And I might say, I see a duck or whatever's on the, like, I just, I, I see it like just what I see and that's it. Um, but I, I would like to be able to read more into it. So how would you, do you have any suggestions on how somebody can maybe get started on that? Like if you want to, if you're interested and you want to learn, but you don't really know where to begin, is it just a matter of like, uh, letting go, perhaps?
6: Uh, it's funny that you ask, because I I used to kind of teach this a bit. So I, I used to work at the WAG where I would uh, work with children and kind of get them to read the art. That's what we call it, reading the art. And it just takes practice, really. Like, you have to look at a piece of art and then just, like, describe what you're seeing. That's the best way to get started onto, like, before getting to feelings, what are you seeing? What are the minute details that you can point out? Like you said a duck. Okay. But is the duck doing anything? Where is the duck? What is the duck doing? Like you can make up a whole different story yourself from what the duck is doing.
1: Fascinating. That's really, (laughs) that's actually super helpful (laughs) because I I don't want to, you know, if I ever do go like to an art gallery, I don't want to be that person standing beside the really smart art person. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, Okay,
0: yeah, yes, I, I agree with you. Well,
7: how
1: can you agree with me? This is what I see. Okay, fine. <laughs> Do you see
0: it? Yeah, I see it. Do you really? No, I, <laughs> I don't see it at all. So for those who have not been to the museum, it's a terrific place, once again, to cultivate, learn about our history, and I think this exhibit is a wonderful step towards reconciliation, and that's my opinion on it. Uh, we'll give you kind of the 30-second elevator pitch, as we say, to invite, invite people down to the museum.
6: Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, definitely come come on come on by. Jeez, I'm stuttering. <laughs> um, and every Thursday we're actually, uh, at night, we're free from 5 to 8, free entrance for Jeudi la Francophonie. So come on down and we have a lot of activities coming too. Um, and we're on 494 Taché Avenue right on the river. So we're really easy to find. Um, if you're on Pro- Provence and you go to the hospital, you've gone too far. You got to come back. <laughs> Yeah.
1: All right. Loic Raymond joining us live on 680 CJOB, Outreach and Experiences Coordinator at St. Boniface Museum. And the exhibit, once again, is called Story Shifters, and it will be on display starting on Sunday, June 18th through September 30th. Loic, pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming down.
6: Thank you for having me.